<clears throat> off to a late start this morning. It's understandable with baptism and <coughs> so many visitors here this morning. All right, let's turn to Proverbs 23, <clears throat> and I want to, <coughs> excuse me, I want to begin with <clears throat> a, a talk to you this morning and next week, and maybe, or no, not next week, a couple weeks from now, it, may, it might turn into three talks, but I want to talk about the idea of how do you plant biblical convictions in your children? And I want to do that from Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. We'll be kind of walking through this text the next three times. How do you plant biblical convictions in your children? I'll just read the first few verses, 12 through 14. Um, Apply thine heart unto instruction, and thy ears to the words of knowledge. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod, and shall deliver his soul from hell. Just a few more verses here. My son, if thy heart be wise, my heart shall rejoice, even mine. Yea, my reins shall rejoice when thy lips speak right things. I'm going to talk to you about six different convictions, and I've just read to you the first two, how, how you build these things in your children. Let's pray. Gracious God, please bless us now as we talk about conviction building in the soul, in the life, in the mind, in the affections, in the will of our own children. By thy grace... Because, Lord, we know it's all by thy grace. So help us in teaching. And do bless the, this lecture today and, and in subsequent time. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we care for our children like birds care for their nestlings, don't we? We nurture them. We feed them, we keep them from danger, we bring them their needs. But every father and every mother experiences quite soon, sooner than you think, that the day comes when you say goodbye to your children leaving your home. It happens like that. <laughs> the 20 years fly by like two years. And your children then are on their own, facing countless decisions to make about their work, about marriage, education, politics, a personal life. And while you hope while you hope that you still have a voice in their lives and might even be a trusted counselor and friend, 
You'll never return to the days when that child was playing with you and you with him or her on the living room floor. You'll stand at the door and you'll watch your child drive away to live life. So, what do you want to build into your child? What do you want to build into your child? So that when that day happens, your child goes out and lives in the fear of God. Well, Ephesians 6 verse 4 tells us that the goal you ought to have is to train them, to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And basically, what those words mean, nurture, so it becomes second nature to, to do what they're supposed to do. And admonition, it's not just to warn, but it's also to encourage. It's, it's a complex word in Greek, actually. Uh, both of these words coalesce in this idea I'm trying to bring you in these lectures of instilling strong biblical convictions in them so that when they leave your home, those convictions go with them and impact their entire lives. So you're, you, what you want to do is you want to provide each child with an internal biblical compass that will guide him or her through life. Not just any compass, but a biblical compass. Compass. Now, as parents, of course, we have to realize our limitations here. Our children are not robots. We can't just program them and they just go out and do exactly what we say. Nor can we take the place of God, who alone can give them new hearts and put His Spirit within them, so that they truly desire from the heart to do what He commands. But we do have a unique op opportunity, though we're limited, an opportunity to cultivate in our children the basic convictions by which they need to navigate their way through life's dangers and through life's opportunities. So we can't save them. We can't work faith in them. But we can plant seeds of Bible truth in their hearts and minds that may bear fruit as they grow to maturity. Now, there's no book that does this in the Bible. No book even comes close to this than the book of Proverbs. I mean, basically the whole book, <laughs> verse by verse, is conviction building. And, and so much of it is to children. My son, I will teach you. I will give you understanding. And with understanding, I will give you wisdom. And on and on it goes. Um, we, we did a lot with Proverbs when our kids grew up. And my wife even more than me. But um, we would read Proverbs very often, especially in the morning. After, after the breakfast meal, just before the kids went off to school, we would, we would read just a few verses from Proverbs. Not, not a whole bunch. Read them slowly. 
Every verse in Proverbs is like a, like a whole world of wisdom. Just read it slowly and pause and let it sink in. And if you read six or seven or eight verses, you have enough to meditate on for, for the day. All right. So what I want to do in these lectures is I want to just go to Proverbs 23 only. We're starting at verse 12. I'm going to work my way through verse 26. And we're going to build some convictions in our children by parental instructions to you how to, how to rear them based on these verses. Now, the first thing we need to say is that you're working for their heart. You're working for their heart. Not just for outward obedience. You know, I read a story somewhere of um, a dad. He was a Christian man, but he didn't like the government, so he was always talking to his kids that, you know, you don't have to obey the government. Government's corrupt, and et cetera, et cetera. And those kids were model kids because dad had an iron hand. Model kids in terms of as far as the dad could see, they obeyed him when he said something. Great. As soon as that dad turned their back, the kids told me, a couple of the kids told me, as soon as their dad was gone, they'd go in the barn and they'd do all the things their dad told them not to do. And they said, my dad wants to be an authority over us, but he doesn't respect authority over him. So his words hold no weight with us. We just fall in line so we don't get in trouble. So just disciplining children without being examples doesn't, doesn't do it. And the book of Proverbs is filled with that. You've got to be an example of what you want your children to be. You've got to walk that way yourself. So the idea is, like Ted Tripp so often says, in fact, his title of his book is Shepherding Their Heart. You're shepherding the heart. You're building convictions internally so that when the day comes, when they walk away, they're not just going to say, oh, well, I'm on my own now. I, I don't have to obey my dad's rules or my mom's rules. But because they've imbibed those things internally, they're going to want to follow these ways. So verse 12 begins with this. Apply thy heart unto instruction, not just thy mind, and thy ears to the words of knowledge. Now, from verse 12 to the end of this chapter, it's interesting, the word heart, which is the core essence of the person, is used seven times. So in all this conviction building, uh, what, what the wise man is saying is, you're aiming for the heart. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. So you don't want to make your children little Pharisees who are clean on the outside but rotten and dead on the inside. It's not just their outward behavior, but their consciences you want to train. Their minds, their hearts, their inmost being. All right? So let's do principle number one. Principle number one 
is you discipline with mercy. You discipline with mercy. Look at verses 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. But you shall deliver his soul from hell. So the rod of chastening must be applied not to injure the body, and certainly not to give the child what his sins deserve, because then we'd all be in hell, but only to curb his natural tendency to choose evil and to reject good. Only to curb his natural tendency to choose evil and reject good. Now, administering corporal discipline to young children, say eight and under, when they, when they don't obey and you've tried instruction and they still don't obey, using a rod of correction, which preferably is your own hand, not a stick or something. And as the Puritans used to say, there's one part of the human anatomy where that rod of the hand works best, and that's on your rear end. You don't slap your children across the face. You don't pinch their ears. You don't pull their hair. You, God's given one part of the human anatomy, Puritans said, where they can, that can sustain the blow. You never, never would spank a child to leave a mark. But sometimes young children need a spanking. But discipline goes wrong when you don't keep in mind that you are disciplining in the place of God. You're disciplining in the place of God. So your motive is love, not anger. Never discipline in anger. If you're, if you're angry and you're going to discipline, you just maybe you just better say to the kid, and we've, we've done that before, uh, I need to think about how I'm going to discipline you. I, I, so I'll come back to this later. And then I get calmed down, make sure I don't do it in anger, and come back and do it. I do it in an earnest voice sometimes, but not in anger. And children can tell the difference between seriousness and anger. Um, so the motive is love, not anger. The manner is paternal, not judicial. You're a father, you're a mother. It's paternal or maternal, not judicial. Um, if it's judicial, your kids would be in jail almost all the time. <laughs> the, the primary aim is correction, not punishment. Hebrews 12, 5 through 14. So if you lose your temper and you start yelling, you'll soon forget the whole purpose of godly discipline. Yelling has never worked for any parent ever. Yes, it may force your kids to get in line and obey you temporarily, but it doesn't form the heart. It, it, it stirs up anger in the heart. So never forget this fundamental principle that when you discipline, you are disciplining in God's name. And your children need to know that. In fact, right or wrong, I'm not sure, but we've told our children... You know, it's harder, it's harder on us to discipline you than on you to be disciplined because we love you and it's not our, our natural tendency to want to discipline you. 
But God has put us in this place to do what God wants us to do. So when I administer a spanking to you right now, my son or my daughter, I'm doing this in the place of God because God hates the sin that you've just committed. Do you understand me? And saying it in a voice about like that, looking them in the eye, you're training them to understand that this is the will of God that they get spanked because God hates sin. So God's put the rod of correction in your hand, mom or dad, and you're a steward of that rod on his behalf. Now, the book of Proverbs tells us that as God's representative, when you discipline, you're to do so with three characteristics. Three characteristics. Number one, love. Love. You discipline because you love the soul of that child. Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. So to discipline without love presents your children with the image of Satan. But to discipline them with love presents your children with the image of God. So when Satan afflicts us, his aim is to embitter us, to make us angry against God and to bring about our destruction. When God disciplines us, his goal is to make us partakers of the holiness and righteousness of Christ. Hebrews 12, 10 and 11. So love is important. Number two, instruction. When you discipline a child, they need instruction at their age level. So a two-year-old, the instruction needs to be very simple. A three-year-old, you can actually start explaining things a bit more detail, why things are wrong. But a six-year-old needs to know much more and can understand much more. But you combine your chastening with an explanation of what the child has done wrong and, at times, explaining what repentance, true repentance, looks like and how free and sure is the grace of Christ to those who forsake their sin so that your child's mind and conscience may resonate with the justice and the, uh, the grace that you're administering uh, the punishment with. So, this is one reason why, by the way, spanking should be applied only when a child is uh, old enough to understand the very beginning of instruction. You don't spank a three or three-month-old baby. And it also shows why, whether it's eight or nine maybe, whatever age you decide to stop spanking, because the child now can take in full-throated uh, instruction. And if you're still spanking when the child becomes a teenager, for example, uh, boy, you're really embittering the soul of your, your child. Now, when you, when you give instruction, when you give instruction, you combine that with prayer. That's the spirit of the book of Proverbs. You're praying with your child. 
So you tell your child why what you're doing is wrong. Lay your child over your lap. You, see, you tell, I'm going to spank you twice for this because this is a pretty serious sin or, or once um, uh, if it's not as serious or three times maybe if it's really, really serious. That was at least my method. And, but you tell them why it was wrong and you ask them to repent of it and then you still spank. But after you, they repent and you spank, you scoop them up in your arms and you pray with them that God will help them not to do this again and that God will have mercy on them. And then you walk out of the room taking the child's hand. It's closed. The matter's done. It's been dealt with. You don't ever bring it up again. Just like in a marriage, what a disaster it is to keep bringing things up of the past when they've been forgiven and repented of. So, as Spurgeon quipped, when you bury a dog, you don't leave its tail sticking up above the ground. It's buried once and for all. So with children. Third, you must discipline with compassion. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. So I just want to make this quick point and then I'll, I'll close. When you discipline your child, you remember that you're a sinner. You remember who you were when you were that child's age. That will keep you from going too far in your discipline. Because you'll do it with compassion. Because you too, you too are a sinner. So you limit the discipline to the degree of the moral offense committed. And you limit the discipline because of the compassion you have. Because you also are a fellow sinner. So discipline lovingly. Discipline with instruction and prayer. And discipline with compassion. That's principle number one. And Two weeks from now, we'll, we'll go on to number two forward. Okay? Sorry it's so short this morning. Let's pray. Gracious God, please be with us and bless us and keep us. And just help us, Lord, as parents, even as grandparents, to discipline our children with, or grandchildren, with a measure of compassion with great dosages of love, but also with instruction and prayer. And give us wisdom to know how much to do, what to do, or what not to do. In Jesus' name, amen.